immersive cultural enrichment on board and on shore, freshly prepared regional cuisine, Viking sails the rivers of the world and takes travelers to the heart of iconic destinations. Discover more at viking.com. Can you believe we're finally here? The fifth and final season of Poldark has arrived, and so has the final season of this podcast. Ross and company are up to new schemes as a long-forgotten army buddy arrives on the scene. On your feet, renegade. At ease, Ensign. And salute when you see a superior. When I see when I will. (laughs) (laughs) The widower, Sir George Warleggen, newly ennobled, has suppressed all thoughts of Elizabeth, but his grief remains. Elizabeth should be here. What? Her portrait should not remain at Trenwith. I admitted to have it brought. I must remedy that. And all sacrilege aside, forget about God, Ross saves the king. By a fortunate coincidence, I arrived at the theater in time to do as much as others. But to be frank, it's been a tiresome disruption. And I hope I may now be permitted to join my friends. I'm Barrett Brontus, and this is Mining Poldark, a podcast from Masterpiece. On this final season of this podcast, my co-host, Robin Ellis, and I are going to step back and give our Masterpiece colleague, Jace Lacob, the opportunity to carry us through the final eight episodes of the series. Each episode, I'll introduce a portion of a conversation between Jace and a member of the Poldark cast and crew, which can all be heard in full on our companion podcast, Masterpiece Studio. Today, we'll hear from series creator, executive producer, and head writer, Debbie Horsfield, who explains just how she crafted an entire season of the series without directly adapting one of Winston Graham's novels. There was speculation that the show might feature an 11-year time jump or steamroll through five more books, but instead you crafted a unique narrative for the season that's removed from the Winston Graham novels. How did you thread the difficult needle that was the final season of Poldark? Well, it wasn't completely removed from the Winston Graham novels because you're right, there is an 11-year time jump between books seven and eight, But in book eight, Winston Graham does drop a lot of clues about things that happened in the in the intervening 11 years. And so as our starting point, I was decided to build on what he had left clues about. But also, I guess the main thing was to look at where he left the characters at the end of book seven and where we join them again in book eight and as an example, Ross at the end of book seven is an MP and a mine owner um, and has an estate in Cornwall. And then at the beginning of book eight, we see him on a special secret mission for the government in Portugal. So my question was, how did he get from being an MP to basically being a special agent? And there were a few clues that Winston Graham left, but It made me realise there was a lot of detail that we were able to fill in. And so that was my starting point, looking at uh, what was going on in 
the two years following the end of Book Seven. So that takes us into the beginning of the 19th century. We we are covering 1800 to 1802 and in the style of Winston Graham because he increasingly set his Poldark stories against actual historical events and used real historical characters. So I just began by looking at what was going on politically, culturally, historically, and who the the big personalities and figures were of that era and started crafting a story around that. I mean, I love that entire notion that you're filling in gaps, which to me is a very clever solution to a, a complex problem. I mean, in terms of the plotting then, how did you set out to sort of track those developments that happened between those novels? Well, I looked at the clues that Winston Graham had left. So, for instance, obviously I've just described what Ross's overall journey was, but there were other clues like Dwight Ennis, who you know, was a local country doctor. And then we we find him at the beginning of book eight, and he's been summoned to London to treat King George III and has somehow in the interim become an expert on, on mental health issues. And so there was another uh, story to, to chase through. How did he get to such a kind of eminent position? What were the clues I needed to pick up on? And I discovered Winston Graham mentions that he had decided to follow a more humane approach to treating mental illness instead of the really, really harsh and, and brutal treatments that were around. And historically, there was a Dr. Pinel at um, at an establishment just outside Paris who was dedicated to the more humane treatments. Um, he was a real historical figure. And Winston Graham just mentions in passing that Dwight had gone and studied with him for a while. So there again was a, a, a clue to to look at, you know, what his trajectory was. Here's to the new century. What do it hold for us? The Royal College of Surgeons has invited me to join their ranks. And their inaugural dinner in London. Which Caroline has declined. Horace prefers summer in Cornwall. Similarly, we learn what happens to some of the other characters, Drake and Morwenna. We we find out that they've uh, that Morwenna has eventually been able to overcome the trauma of her hideous marriage to um, Reverend Whitworth and is happily married eventually to to Drake and they have have a child so it was really just picking up on those on those clues and uh, chasing those storylines through but I guess the the plotting of it really centered around how how Ross went from, MP to, to special agent and what, who were the characters that may have informed that journey. It was much easier than I thought it was going to be to, to, to trace Ross's journey through that and to have him encounter real historical figures who, who would fill in some of the gaps on that story. Let's hold on for a second and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Coming up next on Masterpiece on PBS, the premiere of Nolly begins March 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, followed by the premiere of Alice and Jack at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. The conflation of the personal and the political, as you say, Ross's transformation from MP to spy, 
the Napoleonic Wars, the abolition of slavery. That seems to be a very Winston Graham proposition. Yes, absolutely. I mean, what do you think he'd have made of your decisions here? Look, none of us can tell for certain. Um, I work very closely with his son. So uh, his son, Andrew, is the the closest we're ever going to get to to know. And obviously, we can't know what he would have thought. But Andrew Graham has agreed that the method his father used was was increasingly to set his his fiction against real historical events and to include real historical personages. And so I was very conscious that um, I was, in a way, trying to follow in his footsteps there. Was there ever a serious consideration that you might adapt the entirety of the final Poldark novel, starting with The Stranger from the Sea? Or was that always going to be logistically impossible? I don't think we were ever going to be able to do 12 books in in five series. Um, but we did realize when we came to a potential series five that we were faced with the the issue of either not doing a series five at all, but that seemed a shame because everybody really wanted to do it, all the cast wanted to do it, um, or trying to, which was never really an option, trying to fit five books into eight episodes. And that was just not a goer. So we decided that um, the option that would work for everybody was to fill in some of the gaps because that then leaves open the possibility that some way down the line someone may do the rest of the books. This new season takes place in 1800. Yeah. Uh, it's a new century, a time of change and upheaval. Is this sense of looking forward and looking back in keeping with the underlying theme of this final season? It It is, although it's very... It's really quite forward-looking, actually, because it's it's providing the springboard for which will eventually land Ross where we find him in book eight, which is in his new role as a special agent. So in a way, series five is about, yes, it is certainly about tying up some of the things that that series four had left um, as loose ends. But there's a very much a forward-looking sense that, um, you know, it is a new century. There are new challenges. Ross, Demelza, you know, our main characters are facing a lot of fresh challenges. And um, in a way, it is not, it's not really looking backwards very much at all, except to find resolution to things that were left hanging at the end of four. We begin not in 1800, however, but with a flashback to the battlefield of Virginia in 1781. We find a wounded Ross Poldark clinging to life before he's saved by Dwight Ennis and Ned Despard. They had no chance. By the time we arrived, it was all over. Any other survivors? None. And if you lose this one, you'll have me to answer to. My best, Colonel. Stay with us, friend. You're a mad fool. But we need mad fools here. Colonel Despard and Sid Poldark. I think you'll find your captain, Poldark, now. Stitch him up, Ennis. This war's not over yet. Why did you choose ultimately to begin the final season here in the past with these three? Well, I think because we were introducing a major new character in Colonel Edward Despard, and we needed to make that link between him and Ross. And obviously Dwight was there with with 
the two of them. And Dwight's story also is very, very much intertwined with Ned's and Ross's. So it just seemed uh, an elegant way to remind the viewers of where we all began in series one, episode one, um, because everything really, that is the springboard for everything that happens in season five. There's a sense, too, that this scene almost bookends the first scene of last year's season finale, which, too, was a flashback. Was that a deliberate choice in terms of the storytelling? Um, we only use flashbacks, really, in, uh, in as much as they illustrate things that are going on in the present or things that um, may come to be important in the story. Where did the idea of using the real-life uh, Ned and Kitty Despard come from, and are they intended to provide a mirror of sorts for Ross and Demelza? Yeah, when I started researching the um, secret societies and the potential uh, spying or secret service in the early 19th century, one of the things I discovered was that, as I mentioned before, the government was really cracking down on any political organisations, making a lot of groups illegal, even if they were simply set up just to seek better working conditions, as an example. One of these groups was called the London Corresponding Society, which was set up by a couple of workers to improve the lot of the working man, but became associated with, well, in the mind of the government anyway, a potential to be a seditious organisation. So it was made illegal. Um, And I discovered that Colonel Edward Despard had been a member of this, and I had had no idea who this person was. So I started researching him. And when I I, uh, researched, I realised that he was quite extraordinarily like Ross himself, in as much as they were both army men. They had both fought in the American War of Independence. Um, They both had a really strong sense of social justice and compassion and care for their fellow men. And the really incredible thing was both had married their servants. And so I actually asked Andrew Graham, Winston Graham's son, had his father even been aware of Ned Despard? And Andrew thought he hadn't, but he certainly agreed that the parallels were really extraordinary. And obviously, without giving away the story, um, one of the things I wanted to use the character of Ned for was to, in a way, provide a kind of salutary lesson for Ross, a sort of there but for the grace of God goes Ross. Um, As viewers will see as they watch the series... um, you know there is uh, uh well people can look up look it up online i suppose if they really want to but it doesn't end well for ned and one wouldn't want it to end that way for ross and so ned provided the uh, a really useful parallel of how wrong it could have gone if ross had continued down a certain road that's to put it mildly yes <laughs> That was Poldark creator Debbie Horsfield in conversation with my Masterpiece Studio colleague, Jace Lacob. You can hear the rest of that interview and many more besides on Masterpiece Studio, available at pbs.org slash masterpiecestudio or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Coming up next, trouble in the London Pleasure Gardens. Go crawl back under your stone, Hanson. (laughs) 
Rest assured, you'll be made to pay. Ned, be calm. Come on, you know. It's time we go. That's next time on Mining Poldark. And you can join us in our rewatching adventure here on Mining Poldark by watching the entire series on PBS Passport, a new member benefit from your local PBS station. You can watch select masterpiece titles like Poldark, Downton Abbey, or Victoria as part of the Passport experience. To learn more, visit pbs.org slash getpassport. You can also follow along with us on the PBS Masterpiece Prime video channel, available as an add-on service to your Amazon Prime membership. Mining Poldark is hosted by me, Barrett Brontis, and Robin Ellis. We're produced by Nick Anderson with help from Robin Bissett. Meredith Wheeler is our field producer. Tina Toby Mack is our sound designer. Suzanne Simpson is our executive producer. The executive producer of Masterpiece is Rebecca Eaton. Sponsors for Masterpiece on PBS are Viking, Raymond James, and the Masterpiece Trust. Poldark is a Mammoth Screen production for BBC, co-produced with Masterpiece.